Welcome to No BS Engineering, the podcast for developers around the world who care about their careers. Join us as we share ideas, war stories, and talk with special guests about how developers can up their game and move their career forward. Hey everyone, this is No BS Engineering, the best podcast for engineering tips and career advice from engineers, from interns and juniors, up to CTOs and everyone else in between. I'm here with my partner, Kao Evans. My name is Mario Peshev, and today we are going about thinking like a programmer. I know that pretty much everyone believes that they have the karma or the thinking process or the mojo or the whatever you want to call it, of being able to think like a programmer. But in reality, there are some tiny nuggets that you really need to know and some specific areas that you may want to improve upon if you want to be one of the best programmers out there. And I'm not talking about specific skills. I'm not talking about being able to decompile code or be able to reverse engineer specific things or crack software. Definitely never do that. I'm talking about more high, bigger picture, philosophical, spiritual things that you want to improve upon when it comes to becoming a great software engineer. Mm-hmm. So rule number one, and the thing I want to start with is be patient. As a former trainer and someone with thousands and thousands of hours working with juniors and with interns, and I still keep working with them. We actually have interns in the other room right now. One of the biggest challenges with interns and juniors that can't really make it work is impatience. Mm-hmm. Look, if software engineering was that easy, if everyone was able to just become a software engineer overnight, well, I assume that 90% of the human population is going to be comprised of software engineers, meaning that nobody would be able to, I don't know, serve food, deliver stuff from Amazon, uh, be an accountant, a lawyer, a writer, pretty much any other profession out there. So there's a good reason that every other job out there has a certain proportion of users or people that adhere to that job and work it and employ it and everything in between. And software engineering is one of those jobs. It Mm. takes a lot of time. It takes patience. It takes attention to detail. It's a long process, a long journey that you need to stick through and and, and walk through day after day, night after night. And more importantly, the way software engineering works in the first place, it's a very complicated puzzle, a puzzle comprised of many, many, many tiny little pieces. When you start, you have a very tiny and narrow perspective of the entire puzzle itself. What I'm meaning is you probably don't understand operating systems that well, or processes, or algorithms, or data structures, or networks, or everything that happens in the software engineering ecosystem. And day after day, when you keep reading about it, when you keep practicing, when you keep playing with your computer, changing operating system software, probably installing Linux just to play with it, you keep learning and building on top of your initial foundational knowledge. And with this, it becomes more Uh, it becomes easier and better for you to just expand on your skill set and expand in an exponential manner. Uh, But yeah, that's why you have to be patient about it. That's not going to happen overnight. You know, when I was originally um, uh, putting together our talking points, um, be patient came up and, and it was the, the obvious, if you're a senior and you've got an intern, you need to be patient with them. But, there's also the aspect of you need to be patient with yourself. I mean, I don't care if this is your first hello world or if you've been doing this for 30 years, there are going to be times when you're going to hit a wall. 
And you've yeah. got to be patient with yourself. This stuff is not easy. Software development is not easy. And, you know, some people are just normally more or better at it than others. But that doesn't mean that everybody can't do it if they want to. But if you're going to do it, you've got to learn to be patient. You're going to run down rabbit holes. You're going to chase ideas and realize, hey, that really didn't work out the way I thought it was and just erase the code. I mean, I, I've coded for three, four hours at a time and mm. realized that ain't, that ain't what I wanted and had to totally erase that code, you know, um, check out the original branch of my project and start over again. You're going to do that. That's part of the process. And if you're not going to be patient with yourself and if you're not going to be patient with those learning programming, then you're going to be very frustrated. Mm, indeed. Kyle, do you want to take number two, learn to learn? I believe this is one of your special soft spots. This is, of course, you give me the one that we covered last week. So um, last two, uh, as of this recording, last week we released the uh, episode Learning to Learn with um, the wonderful Olivia Liddell. And I, I'm not sure that I can add anything to what she said. I mean, she laid it out just perfectly, but you've got to learn how to learn. And I, I will share this story. I think I shared this story um, on the other one, but just in case I didn't, I, I once went for a job interview one time and it was for um, an Oracle SQL programmer. And I walked in, I, I've been doing SQL at this point for 10 years. I've done several different dialects, including Oracle. And so I, I was fairly confident in my skills. And so the recruiter walked me in and we sat down at the table and in walked the hiring manager. And this was back in the days when we bought computer books. We didn't have everything online. And we also bought them by weight, you know? So, you know, you, you pick <laughs> up and go, oh yeah, this is about $35, you know? 45 if it had the CD in the back. He walked in with five of these books stacked up and about a hundred little post-it notes stuck in, in of the stack. And we got through the introductions and he immediately opened the top book to the first post-it note, read out a question, says, how would you solve this problem? Well, let's just say I was not stunning. Okay. Um, I him hauled around. I gave some generic advice and all this, but yeah, you know, I was caught off guard because quite honestly, I don't know how I would solve that problem. I've never had that problem. I moved on to the, or he moved on to the next one. We did this for two or three times. About the third time I stopped him and said, look, I'm gonna save us both a lot of time. Mm. I probably don't know how to solve the problems you're asking me in those um, bullet points on your, in your, or those post-it notes in your book. But what I do know is who to talk to and how to find the answers to these when I run across these questions. And that to me is more important than being able to memorize the manuals. Hmm. Now, the recruiter next to me is sliding under the table at this point. <laughs> He's like, this is over. I'm a, and, and the funny thing was, uh, we went on to the next portion of the interview. We, we talked about my skills and my history and all that. And I walked out of there thinking, I'll never hear from these people again. They <laughs> called me three days later and offered me the job. So I, sadly, something else had already come up and I wasn't able to take it. But they, you know, they, they were a good company. But I don't memorize manuals, even the PHP manual. You know, when it comes to Haystack and Needle, I still look that stuff up. The important thing is I know where to look. And if I get stuck with something, if I get stuck with date a date time issue, I know that I can contact Derek and Derek wrote the date time implementation for PHP. <laughs> and 
computer can tell me what I'm doing wrong because it's never a problem with the, um, the software. It's always a problem of my understanding the software. Learning how to learn is the one most important skill any software developer needs to master. And that's how you, if you know how to learn, then you can think like a programmer. Yeah, I definitely recommend pretty much everyone to just uh, watch and or listen to the previous episode if you haven't. It's incredible and uh, I learned a lot myself. And as an example, I, want, I also want to give a conference that I attended and someone gave a talk on mind maps. And I had a rough idea of mind maps from studying Renaissance artists and their notes and the, the curious ways they were actually taking notes back in the day. But I said, well, how can this be practical nowadays in a, in a digital era? And the lecture was extremely engaging. It was very enlightening for me. So I bought the book, I read the book, and I started using mind maps. And even nowadays, I have most of my processes written down as mind maps first, and then as pretty much everything else, tables, calendars, lists, documents, appointments, anything that is first is a mind map. It's a lot easier for me to just memorize, to break down a tree with, uh, you know, we have the, the root then the master notes then the leaves, everything else just broken down in a very reasonable manner. So for some, those are videos for some, I recall back in high school, I was recording my lessons on a, uh, well, something like, uh, uh, what was it, cassette player? Uh, or something yeah. like that, yeah. And, and yeah, I was just listening to this over and over and over again because this was, uh, this was helping me, just memorizing that and thinking about specific areas to be improved and, and whatnot. So yeah, learning how to learn is definitely one of the uh, kind of uh, the, the key principles that you want to invest in. Mm -hmm. And in, in terms of number three, uh, focus on master principles and not tools. Yes. Now, why am I saying that? Lots of people are trying to always use the latest and greatest software, the latest and greatest tool out there available and be as efficient as possible with it. And I definitely don't disagree with that. You don't have to waste additional and extra time unless you're really a nerd and you just, just want to do things in the hardest and most complicated manner. However, if you're looking for a job, if you want to progress in a job, if you want to lead people and manage people and become let's say VP of engineering or a team leader, you should be able to work with different tools and also help out people using different tools. If you're using, let's say PHPStorm, someone else may be using VS Code or NetBeans or I don't know, Eclipse or Sublime or Vim or anything else, you should be familiar with the principles and not the tools. For, uh, in, in that specific case or with that specific example, what is an IDE comprised of? You have a text editor, you may have a compiler, you may have a, a, a way to easily filter through and sift through files the way that Oak and Set and other tools in Unix would give you the opportunity to do that. You may have, a, uh, let's say, RDBMS management tool like phpMadmin or HiDSQL embedded in your IDE. You have a bunch of those different tools. So as a professional developer, you shouldn't just say, I cannot do my work without, let's say, PHP store, you should be able to understand what does this ID give you? What are the separate components? What are the principles that will allow you to do your job most efficiently? And then figure out if there are better ways or how to do your job with different tools as needed. Example, if you do remote debugging, now VS Code has that. PHP Storm, to some extent, also has that in most, uh, you know, most of the time. 
Yeah. But if you do remote debugging, most of the time you have to hack around with Vim on a remote server that may be behind a VPN or something else. Then you are on your own. You either use Vim or Nano. That's pretty much it. No yeah. fancy tools, no nothing. So knowing what's happening behind the scenes, knowing how to invoke the, let's say, MySQL, CLI, or anything else just would help you be more comfortable and be less afraid of any technical challenges that may uh, come up at a job. Absolutely. Um, PHP, in my, pro in my programming career, 36 years now, PHP is my fourth or fifth language. And I've used in that time, probably 10, 15 different frameworks. I've actually written three. So, um, you know, tools and frameworks and languages are going to come and go. But if you understand the principles behind software development, what we call the best practices these days, and most of the time when people talk about that, they're talking about uh, things like object-oriented programming and the best practices, the current best practices in object-oriented programming and, you know, write tests and things like Design that. patterns, things like that, yeah. Yeah, if you understand these concepts, you can move from lang uh, language to language. But um, if all you understand is your particular language or your particular framework, then you're going to be pigeonholed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as a kind of final tip of advice before we moving forward to the next one, um, <clears throat> it definitely helps learning multiple languages and understanding the paradigms and concepts of different languages. Maybe mm -hmm. one completely object-oriented, one low-level, uh, maybe one functional like list or scheme. It definitely helps, it gives you a broader insight, but especially for beginners, a common mistake I see, don't start learning multiple languages at a time. Oh yeah, it, absolutely. <laughs> sounds fancy, it isn't. It's a complete waste of time. It's going to get you messed up. Almost yeah. like learning, uh, I don't know, Chinese, Russian and Spanish at the same time. Trust me, it's not working out. And hey, since we also talk to um, people that are management and stuff like that on this podcast, stop requiring I need this framework. Mm -hmm. When uh, We're in the process of um, doing some repairs on the house. When I interview somebody, I don't say, do you specialize in using a ball peen hammer or a sledgehammer? No. <laughs> if, if you're a carpenter, you know which hammer to use and you know how to uh, collect correctly select the proper hammer. Stop saying, do you use this framework or do you use this concept or do you use this language? A good programmer is going to be able to move between tools seamlessly. And mm -hmm. if you're in management and you're saying, I must have this framework or experience in this framework or you're no good, then um, you know, that, that tells me a lot about the job uh, to begin with. I'm probably not going to be happy at that position anyhow. That's like yeah. seeing um, five years experience in PHP 6. You know you're not going to be happy in that, program, <laughs> in that, in that company. <laughs> yeah. Knowing is cool. Sharing knowledge is even cooler. In my book, Uncle Cal's Career Advice for Developers, I share with you five of the most important pieces of career advice I've learned. Get your copy today by pointing a browser at bit.ly slash Uncle Cal. I want to share this knowledge with you. Hey, uh, my turn. Um, I love this one. See the wheels around you. 
If you're going to learn to think about, think like a programmer, you've got to see the wheels around you. Everybody tells, especially when you're talking to a junior programmer, the, the first thing, one of the first things junior programmers hear when they are getting beat up on is don't reinvent the wheel. Well, that's mm -hmm. horse crap. Okay. Reinvent the wheel all you want, <laughs> as long as you know why you're reinventing the wheel and you can defend reinventing the wheel. My favorite analogy is, um, you're, you're over in Europe. Y'all have got F1. We have NASCAR over here. But yeah. you would never put regular street, uh, street tires on a NASCAR race car, okay? B.F. Goodrich reinvented the wheel for NASCAR race cars because regular, wheel, or regular tires wouldn't do it. They did the research. They understood it was necessary, and then they went out and did it. If you've yeah. done the research and you see that nothing will get you where you want to go, then sure, reinvent the wheel. But yeah. the reason we tell people that, especially juniors, is there's a 99.99999% chance that your project is not the snowflake that you think it is. Somebody's <laughs> already written whatever you need, or somebody's written something that'll get you 75, 80% the way there, and all you got to do is fork it and put your, put your special code in there. Do that. But if at the end of the day, you can't find what you need, you can't find the wheel that you need, by all means, please reinvent the wheel, release it so that the next person coming along that needs that will have that wheel available to them, and then blog about it and tell us why you reinvented the wheel and what's special about your wheel so we all know when to use your wheel. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. This... Uh... <laughs> Definitely jogs my memory. Uh, I have, based on my, based on my uh, limited experience, I think that there are specific parts of a developer's journey where people do or do not reinvent the wheel. And I think that the first two to three years, people are generally more afraid because they still don't have that general knowledge to be excellent at software engineering. And they do try to reuse as much as possible. They spend a lot of time on Stack Overflow. Uh, they get inspired and old and excited by all the tools and frameworks and, and everything else on the market. So they say, hey, why shouldn't we use this? It's so exciting. And just watch that video. This was incredible. It was amazing. It was working fast. We're doing this and that and this and that. So I think that the first two to three years generally look like this. And then there's a, a, a specific time range of like third to fifth or sixth year, I call it like the, the maturity of a mid-level developer where they say, okay, everything that we've done so far is wrong. They probably read uh, something from the programmatic programmer or anything along those lines. And they said, no, we are completely going to reinvent everything. Now mm -hmm. I know abstract factory and nothing is using abstract factory. Let's start coding design, fact, uh, you know, uh, design patterns for a living. And, and this is, this is a very interesting journey, you know, you start with being shy and less certain and everything sounds so exciting and whatnot, but you're kind of afraid of doing that and you know that you can't really deliver. At some point of time, you kind of rapidly gain confidence because you're used to all the junior tasks and helping out mid-level developers probably, and suddenly you're at like, let's reinvent everything. And then those three to four to five years, it's usually crash and burn. You get disappointed by everyone on the senior team, turning you down. You do some pet projects or do something else that's wasting you an incredible amount of time and by year seven or eight or so, you finally understand that there's software that's working out there incredibly well, libraries, tools, frameworks, 
you need to use the best tool for the job, extend it as needed, if needed, release it and move on. Yeah. That's, that's more or less how it's working out in my opinion. And in the PHP world, um, it's wonderful that we have uh, tools like Composer because mm -hmm. now I don't have to say, I'm only going to use this framework. I can say, hey, I, you know, I, I, I can pick and choose the pieces that I want. And you know, I've, built, I've worked on uh, entire systems that didn't have a framework they built their own framework, but they built it based on other people's work. And it's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's wonderful. And I know um, JavaScript has Node and Python has PIP. So all of our communities have these tools. Learn to use these tools, man. Yeah, Java has Anthem Maven, essentially. I mean, this is, this is something that all languages, all mature languages have. Yeah. And we definitely need to, to kind of comply with that. Uh, Ruby has RVM, if I'm not mistaken, and so forth. Um, next step is read, 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 and then write code. Mm -hmm. Now, I, it's, so there are a couple, and, and this is actually a two-sided story. So there are a couple groups of developers that I've noticed again, just, uh, just on the market. So the first group is overdoing the reading. They sign up for a course and then for a bootcamp and then they read a book and they watch videos and so on. But for the most part, they, this is kind of the better type of group. They are wasting some time because they're not practicing that much, but they are consuming all the knowledge they can get into a limited amount of time. And that's really important because the other group of people that's slightly more dangerous are the group that have seen something and say, okay, we're just going to hack it around. We're going to see some tutorials out there, some stack overflow, some this and that. And now this is dangerous because if you reverse engineer the process, then it becomes dramatically harder to actually understand the best practices. And again, we are talking about this institutional knowledge, just gathering all the concepts and all the, all the know-how that are important for you to be a qualified developer and work on this. And again, I'm not talking about imposter syndrome. I'm not saying that you won't be eligible to program over the first five years, right? But it's, it's really about go through the traditional route, go through a specific process that's already proven, Mm. and try to build up upon this specific process. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, this one, because uh, I wrote this one, this one comes from the concept that in, when you're a writer, when you write fiction or nonfiction or whatever, most of the great writers of our times and throughout history read much more than they write. Now, for me, reading somebody else's code is a very humbling experience because I'll read some code and go, I understand this and this is a beautiful implementation, but there's no way I would have thought to do it this way. And how am I still allowed to practice the art of coding when people like this are out there doing it? You know, it's, it's just, I read other people's code and I, I can't believe that my code is still allowed to exist because there's beautiful code out there, but it helps me understand, well, you know, in the future I can do it this way or I can implement this concept, not this code, but this concept in my own code. So, um, you know, good programmers should read and should read a lot. And thankfully, we've got um, systems like GitHub and GitLab and things like that that make it easy. I mean, when I started programming, if I wanted to read somebody else's code, I either had to buy the code and, or I had to buy a book about the code and I could read the code in the book. There weren't a lot of free examples out there now. Nowadays, you can sit and you spend your evenings reading code, never duplicate the code all your, the, throughout all your time. And one of, the, uh, one of my most favorite bits about reading code 
is reading commit messages and reading commits by its own because jumping on a two million lines of code code base is going to be extremely hard to understand at first. Yeah. But going through commits one at a time is going to help you just figure out, okay, they had this problem and this is what it took to solve this problem. They had this bug and this is what they did to solve this bug. And this is kind of a, it's almost like a history, right? This is kind of how the software was oh, built. Yeah. This is what everyone thought about. This is how they iteratively were solving problems one piece, of, uh, one piece at a time. And that's definitely something that can carry quite a lot of value if you're paying attention to, let's say, a project or two, reading through commit logs, and uh, and yeah, just uh, getting to know the code base this way. Yeah, because the code will really only tell you the, the the what or the how. Reading the commit messages will tell you the why. The why, yeah. Why they, it's this way. Uh, that reminds me, um, I had a, a boss one time, uh, didn't like the code I'd written, and he said, no, I want you to do it this way. And I, I didn't like his idea. It was a, I thought it was a bad idea. So um, I wrote it his way, but in the header of the program file, I pasted his email to me as a comment, just so that the next programmer knew, I didn't do this because I wanted to. I did it because I had to. <laughs> yes, that's what we call a career limiting move. Okay. Don't do that. It's not good. Uh, hey, um, the, the fifth and final thing about thinking by uh, thinking like a programmer is find a mentor. And I, I've been lucky. Um, every time I've needed a mentor in my life, one has kind of floated in. Um, I've had three great mentors in my life, including you. You floated in when I needed you. Um, my very first was when I was working at Christian Broadcasting Network, and he was um, actually, uh, when I started, he was my boss's boss, a guy named Paul Mueller. And Paul took me under his wing and taught me what I needed to know to be a professional programmer. I, I was already a programmer. I mean, I, I could sling code with the best of them, but I lacked the polish, and Paul helped me find the polish. And then I had one in Nashville, and he wasn't a programming mentor. He was just kind of a business mentor, a guy named Stan. And Stan and I would meet in a, usually a hotel, like a Marriott. There was a Marriott um, down near where both of us lived. And we'd meet there in the lobby and have a cup of coffee. And Stan helped me refine some of my business ideas. And when I no longer needed Stan, he floated, you know, he moved on to other people. And you know, a couple months ago, you started talking to me and, you know, it just, you kind of just floated in. We've known each other and we met at uh, Bulgaria PHP, I think 2015, yeah. 2015. Yeah, yeah. So we've known each other, but, you know, it's been one of those just on Twitter things and um, not anything serious. So, um, you know, it, it's just been a, a, a wonderful time. So I can't tell you how to find a mentor. Uh, I can tell you this. Don't go to somebody and say, will you be my mentor? You know, because the, the, the first thing that goes through people's mind is, oh, geez, do you know what kind of time commitment that's going to be? Mm. I can't do that. But if you go to somebody and start asking them questions about things they're already passionate in, how did you do this? How did you get to this point? Well, you know, if you're talking business, where'd you find your first customer? How do you do your marketing? This kind of stuff. Then you will eventually end up with a mentor, whether either of you realize it or not for as long as you need them. And when, you're, when, when you have reached that point, you'll know it and they'll know it and they'll move on and they'll help somebody else. Uh, well, that was very, very kind of you and I truly appreciate it. And now I don't know what to say. <laughs> so I'm going to try to change the subject. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, what, I, what I wanna add is I also had a few mentors along the way 
and I can name some of them that has uh, kind of worked with me for a longer period of time without directly being mentors. What you said, don't just go to somebody and ask them, hey, can you be my mentor? That's extremely important. And that's the, the, the easiest way to lose a mentor is just going to someone, hey, can you be my mentor? Yeah. Easiest and quickest way. It just works out of the box, like a charm in an instant. Um, but I've had some people, and, and the funny thing is like, I wouldn't, it took some time, probably just three or four years ago, I realized that those people were my mentors. They were the go-to people I was asking for advice. They were the people that I was getting extremely excited about seeing and meeting and asking lots of questions when I got a chance or attending conference uh, events that they spoke at or things like that. But I hadn't, it took some time for me to mature and to understand that that's what mentorship is all about. Mm -hmm. And one other thing is sometimes your mentor may even, uh, sorry, sometimes your mentor doesn't necessarily have to know you exist in the first place. And I'll, I'll give you a moment for, for all of your listeners to, uh, to just let that sink in. Now, I've had, and I've, I've actually discussed that with other entrepreneurs and business owners and so forth. Personally, I've had, uh, I'm going to give a recent example. So a couple of weeks ago, I had a meeting at a high school, the high school I graduated at. Uh, we had some meeting for the program plan for next year because uh, many of us, the alumni, we are still training, we're supporting, we're taking interns from this school and so forth. It's a very close community. We are, you know, great education. Awesome. So one of the people there, one of the trainers, one of the teachers at the high school is someone who was a, uh, I was a teacher of them probably eight years ago. So he came to me after the meeting and said, hey, uh, you may not remember me, but you actually sparked my interest in web development in the first place. Mm -hmm. You were teaching, I, I believe back in the day I was teaching Java pro web programming, which was a nightmare by itself, you know, especially for 17, 18 year old students. And he said, this actually sparked my interest. I spent a couple years trying something else, but this was still kind of sticking in my head. So over the past few years, I'm actually working as a web developer and I am really thankful for that. And I'm reading your stories and, you know, checking your commits and using some of your plugins and, and all that. So what I'm trying to say, I've, I've had this conversation multiple times. I've met some people I truly admire. I read their books. I listen to their podcasts. I read their blogs, all that. And, and they don't know I exist, but I consider them to be mentors because I'm following their advice, I'm following their tips and tricks, I'm following their philosophy. I'm adjusting my perspective on life based on their tips because I respect their work, the way they think, everything they share, their volunteering efforts, pretty much everything around them. Yeah. So sometimes you may not even know your mentor in the other way around, uh, but, but this is the type of feeling, this is the type of outcome you're looking for in the long run. And the creepy side of that is somebody's always watching you. So, no, I'm kidding. Um, I, that too. <laughs> um, Seth Godin doesn't know who I am, would not, not know me from Adam, but uh, he's I just, he's one of the marketing gods. Uh, he was Gary V long before Gary V was. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, anything Seth reads or anything Seth writes or puts out, I, I'm one of the first ones in line. Matter of fact, I just got bought his, uh, one of his books, um, This Is Marketing. So, because the, the man just understands. And, um, you know, if I ever get to see him in person, yeah, I'd love to shake his hand, but yeah, that doesn't matter. He's still a mentor to me. He has a marketing podcast, by the way. You got to check it out. It's probably four or five years ago, something startup marketing school, something like that, but definitely recommend it. Yep. 
Oh no, I, I listened to it uh, when he was running it, man. I because I love podcasts, uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I was listening to it. So, <laughs> hey, uh, those are my five points for um, think like a programmer and um, audience. We'd love to know what your thoughts are. Um, what, what did we miss? What, what else can we put in there that helps you think like a programmer? Uh, again, we're not talking about tools or anything like that, but concepts that you can help other programmers um, along their journey. Contact us. You can find us on Twitter at NoBSEngineering. You can find us on, um, you can leave a comment on our blog. We would love to hear from you. Most importantly, go out on iTunes, find us. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much. We will talk to you next week right here on No BS Engineering.